Good morning, everyone. Who do you turn to when the storms of life come? When you face challenges and hardships, what anchors you to solid ground? We are, we are nearing the end of our series in Acts entitled Church on Mission. The accounts of the early church enlivened by the Holy Spirit and empowered to go out and answer the call that Christ had given to them. We find this call at the beginning of the book. Acts chapter 1, it reads, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In this series, we've read so far of the apostles not only proclaiming Christ in Jerusalem, but throughout all of Judea. Later, we read, we read about other leaders joining them as they went throughout Samaria, preaching God's word and planting churches. And in the last few weeks, we have looked at Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he was on a trajectory towards Rome, where he would go and be tried to proclaim Christ in front of Caesar. The narrative now, last time we left off, is, is Paul a prisoner of Christ? And as you look at Paul's situation at that time, one would think clearly his ministry is over. Clearly there's nothing more for him to do. But as we'll see in this passage as well, God had a plan for Paul. And even those chains would not stop what God had purposed. Last week, Pastor Dane preached on how Paul proclaimed Christ to King Agrippa and company. And in doing so, he also proved his innocence of the charges being brought up against him. The last statement by Agrippa sets the stage for today's passage. The end of chapter 26 read, and Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. If you have a, a Bible nearby, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 38. If by chance you don't have a Bible nearby, we will actually project the verses on the screen behind me. And if by chance you're here today or you're viewing with us remotely uh, and you don't own a Bible of your own, I invite you, let us know that so that we can give one to you. If you are here in person, we have some available right in the lobby for you. Before you even leave today, you can go and pick up a Bible of your own. If you are viewing remotely, one of the things you could do is just let us know on the connection card on our website. At that point, we will be able to go and send you a Bible. Again, it's a free gift from us. No charge. Just let us know, and we can get that for you. Today, we will focus on Paul's voyage to be tried in Rome. I'll read from verses 1 through 8, 
And then I'll continue reading or highlighting the rest of the passage. So Acts chapter 27, starting with verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Andromedium, which was about to set sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra at Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. To help us understand this passage a little better, I'm going to break it up into three points, three anchors that we see here in this passage. The first, the anchor of God's comfort offered and rejected. Second, the anchor of man's rebellion failed in the storm. And last, the anchor of God's promise offered and accepted. Again, the anchor of God's comfort offered and rejected. The anchor of man's rebellion failed in the storm. And third, the anchor of God's promise offered and accepted. First, the anchor of God's comfort. From the text, we don't necessarily know when or how long after Paul spoke with King Agrippa did they set sail for Rome. But sometime after that, it was decided that now was the time to begin that journey. And so Paul joined a traveling party of other prisoners heading towards Rome to speak to Caesar, in front of Caesar. Now, to escort a band of prisoners from Caesarea to Italy, to Rome, you need a few things. It required a centurion a leader of soldiers who would guard the prisoners as they went on this journey. It required a ship with a, a pilot and crew who would be okay with having prisoners on the journey with them. And it required clear skies and agreeable weather. As we'll discuss, Paul and company got two out of the three. In terms of the guards, this isn't the first time we have heard of a centurion in the book of Acts. Back when Paul first became a Christian, the apostle Peter, he was told in a vision by Christ to go and speak to a Gentile centurion named Cornelius. In that vision, he was told to go proclaim Christ to Cornelius. And so as he went there and spoke of his Lord and Savior, 
an amazing thing happened. Both Cornelius and all of his household, they heard the gospel and they responded in faith. Here, we find Paul encountering a different centurion named Julius, who was from the Augustan cohort, Cornelius being of the Italian cohort. And yet we see God's hand in this interaction as well. Looking at the text, Julius hired a ship going towards Rome, not as its end destination, but the ship was heading towards the coast of Asia, likely to bring other goods to those ports. And so the ship that they found was heading to Rome, but that wasn't the end destination of it. The ship was large enough to hold the captain and the crew, but also for Julius, the soldiers, and Paul and the other prisoners as well. And we see here, the ship also held Paul's friends. Verse 2 reminds us that Luke, the writer of this book and the gospel account, was there with Paul. And another Christian, Aristarchus, who was from the church in Thessalonica, was also there. Their presence was a reminder of God's comfort for Paul as he traveled. And as we look at verse 3, we find another example of that comfort. After arriving in Sidon, the centurion allowed Paul time off of the ship and away from his guard to spend time with his friends, to be cared for by those who Paul had met on his journey, to be refreshed by them. Now, this isn't a normal thing for a centurion to do. I mean, what if Paul escaped? You know, what if you know, something else happened? Julius would get in trouble. Was he being idle? Was he being irresponsible? Perhaps did Paul's friends pay him off and that's why he let them go? No. Likely, as we've seen throughout the book of Acts, this is just another example of God's hand providing both favor and comfort to those who believe in him, no matter what the situation, no matter how desperate the circumstance. Likely after hearing the apostle on trial and, and hearing what charges were brought against him, the satyrian looked at Paul looked at how he carried himself faithfully and knew this man is different from the other prisoners. Something doesn't seem the same as the rest of this group I'm guarding. And we see other examples of that too in the Bible. As the Lord Jesus hung on the cross, what did the criminal standing next to him, hanging next to him, say? The writer Luke wrote of this interaction in the Gospel of Count. While Jesus hung on the cross, one of the criminals who hanged, who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Later on, in that same chapter, 
we see another realization of who Jesus is by someone who had never even met him before. As Jesus breathed his last, a centurion nearby said this. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. As was with his Lord and Savior, though Paul was bound as a criminal, he did not do the wrong that he was accused of. And by God's hand, the centurion looked at him and realized the same thing. And he trusted Paul not to abuse that favor. Here's a question for you. When you are going through hardships and trials, when you feel like others are attacking you, how do you carry yourself? Do you harden your heart, become angry, and lash out? Or do you see even this difficult situation as an opportunity to reflect God's grace, even towards those who may hate you, who may attack you? When it came time to depart again, Julius didn't have to worry if Paul was going to be there on the ship. When it was time to head out to sea, Paul was ready to continue his journey to Rome. And as they departed Sidon by, by sea, the weather went from agreeable to increasingly difficult for them. The winds that, that were working with them as they went from Caesarea to Sidon all of a sudden started to, to work against them, to, to, to push the ship in a way that was made it difficult to travel. And we see that it was only with, with some fortune that they arrived in a town named Myra. At this point, the centurion had the task of finding a new ship that was heading to Rome. As I said before, the ship that they were currently on didn't go, wasn't going directly to Rome. It was going to the coast of Asia. And so it had reached its destination, and so they needed a new one to go into with the same requirements as before. This freight ship of Alexandria from the text was likely carrying goods from Egypt to Italy. It was possibly a, a regular shipping boat, and so the crew you would expect to have a lot of experience and comfortability traveling from those waters, from Asia all the way to Italy. Which is why they were likely surprised when they experienced even more difficulty than normal. Verse 7 reads, they sailed slower than normal only, and only stopped because the weather would not allow them to go any farther. It was with much difficulty that the crew managed to anchor at a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassie. I find whenever I'm, I'm reading a, a portion of scripture in which there are a lot of different landmarks, I need something visual to help me to understand that. And so we're gonna project a map of Paul's journey for, to Rome. And I feel like it will, it, will, it will give you the same benefit to be able to see what's going on here. So over to the, the right, you can see that they started at Caesarea. 
That was where Paul talked to King Agrippa and company. And they hopped on the boat from there, and they went up to Sidon. So far, all is normal. They likely were planning to go from Sidon and then head straight west, maybe near certain spots like Cyprus, maybe like Crete, um, maybe head into Myra. That, that, that they probably would have head there, but in a more direct trajectory. But something happened. They started to experience a lot of wind resistance. And so you see, instead of going completely west to even head to Myra, they, they had to go up and they were pushed higher up. And finally, they made their destination and had to switch ships. Again, the, better, the more direct route would be to go straight west, maybe southwest to Crete. But because of the difficulty of the winds, they couldn't even do that. They had to sneak into Snidus there a number of landmarks that could have been dangerous for them as well. And it's only with much effort that they were able to sneak around to the south of Crete and land in Fair Havens. This is not a normal and agreeable travels that they're going on. This is not a direct route. But this is the situation that they found themselves in. And as the centurion the pilot and owner of the ship, they, they discuss what to do next. We see Paul goes to them and offers some advice. The passage continues, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Paul was no novice when it came to sea travel. He had been on three missionary journeys where he would have to go to sea as well. And so he was sharing some sound advice based on his experience of traveling the sea, of different weather conditions, and of the times and seasons on the calendar. He possibly was also offering some kindness, repaying what Julius had given him when they were back in Sidon, and wanting to just give some wise counsel to the centurion. By stating that the fast was already over, or the Day of Atonement, those celebrations, Luke was providing a, a timeline on the calendar to help us understand why all of a sudden the weather went from agreeable to more and more dangerous. This on the calendar, our calendar, would have been about late September, mid-October. And one of the things at that time about sea travel was in that area, the closer they got to the winter, the more and more surprising, unstable, and dangerous the weather would get. This was not some inside scoop that Paul, only Paul had. This was a well-known thing among the travelers. And so Paul knew that there was no way they could beat the winds just to make it to their destination, to make it to Italy. He knew that if they tried, if they attempt to, to outpace the wind, it could result in the loss of their ship, their cargo, but more important, it could result in the loss of their lives. And so Paul went with them 
to offer this sound advice. Fair Havens may have not been their desired destination, but it was the place of comfort that God had provided them to weather the storm, to wait and be still until the season had passed. Paul was inviting them to take anchor in God's comfort, to take anchor in what God had provided them. They had difficulty reaching, just even reaching fair havens. And Paul was saying, this is enough. Let us rest here. Let us do the wise thing. Let us trust God. We will be secure until the storm passes. Unfortunately, that extension of God's grace was not accepted. The passage continues, But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Maybe we can give some credit or some understanding to the centurion. He may not have been experienced in sea travel. He may not have known these type of weather conditions. But the pilot and crew of the ship, they should have known that this was not a good time to travel, to make this endeavor. But likely, all the other parties of the ship had other things in mind that was making them very hesitant to stay put. They likely had their desired destination in mind. Italy is a nice place to be in. Rome would be really nice at this time. They likely had the idea of getting paid for the goods that they had. Possibly the, the soldiers and the centurions would also be paid in some way for delivering the, guard, the, so, the prisoners there. They wanted to get rid of the prisoners. Likely, they were just like, we're just tired of having to, to guard so many people. We just need to get rid of them. And likely, they had that, their own idea of what comfort would look like, how they would want to spend the winter season. And in Fair Havens, it wasn't it. They wanted to be someplace nicer, someplace that they would prefer to be at. And when we're reading the Bible and we come to situations like this, it can be tempting to just scoff at the, those who are in this account, to say, oh, they should have known better. Oh, they're so bad. If I was there. But I wanted to just ask you a few questions. And I think it would be helpful to reflect on it, as I have. How often do you do the same thing? When perhaps an important meeting or conversation at work is about to happen, or when you're having difficulty with coworkers, with family members, with friends, how often do you turn to the Lord? How often do you cry out to God for guidance, for direction? How often do you trust when God says, stay put, just stay the course? How often do you do that? Or instead of doing that, do you just muster up the strength 
just to do it yourself, to do it your own way, to go where you want to go and ignore what God is saying? Do you completely forget God is in the picture and just try to muscle it yourself? It's a good question to ask because that's basically what they were doing here. And we see in this part of the passage that the wise invitation of Paul was rejected. And in the next part, we see the results of that rejection in my second point. Now, even for those who, who don't get seasick, we can all admit that verses 13 to 20 are likely a nightmare to imagine. You know, I'm actually glad we, we don't necessarily have the setup to like project a reenactment of the scene on the screen. But it is helpful to see the fruit of such rejection of God's hand of comfort when man trusts in the wrong anchor. The passage continues. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. In this part of the passage, we see experienced seafarers, those who would have known how to travel across these waters, those who would have had experience being on a boat and handling weather conditions, they go into emergency mode. They're doing whatever they can to quote unquote batten down the hatches, to, to, to secure the ship, to use supports to wrap around, just trying to make sure this ship does not fall apart on them. Soon, as they're struggling and struggling, they realize that those goods that were such a precious thing that they had to get to Italy as soon as possible to deliver it, all of a sudden they became a liability, something that they easily just tossed over the board just to find a way to possibly make things more secure on the ship. The next day, they'd realize that without cargo, there was really no need to have the pulley system that was used to go and pick the goods from off the shore to the ship and vice versa. And so with their own hands, they just took it apart and tossed it overboard. They're in a very difficult situation. This freighter of Alexandria was likely built to just hold a cargo and a seafaring crew. But apparently it was large enough that it could also hold other passengers, as we read before. But as the whirlwind took them, as they were being driven along, as they were struggling with difficulty just to make things calm, to make things secure and together, I'm sure that large vessel seemed more like a large coffin to them. This was not like a yacht that could move with the wind. This was just a vessel that was built to carry as many goods as possible from point A to point B. They were out of their depth in this situation. In normal circumstances, what the pilot would have done 
if he wasn't able to go and move the ship with the wind would be to look at the skies, to try to see from the stars and the sun what they could possibly do, where they were going, and what maneuvers they would have to make to get back on course. But in this case, there was one major problem. Verse 20 reads, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. With the same storm came dark clouds and it covered the sky so that even things that they relied on, the sun, the stars, some sort of navigation that they could use, even that was unavailable for them. Their last hope was gone, or so they thought. As they struggled to manage the situation, every time they did attempt to muscle it, every failed attempt got them closer to the realization that they could not overcome the storm. This tempest was too much for them. They could not muster the strength to defeat this threat. But if you've been reading along with us, we knew that. Because only the one who created the storm, only the one who created the winds and the water, would be able to command it to stop. As you read this passage and you think about your own life, maybe you too are going through a storm of sorts. Maybe you too are going through a difficult situation in which you tried. You tried your hardest to muster up the strength. You tried to, to power through it. And it keeps failing after every attempt. Maybe you are at a place where you have no hope. If that is you, I encourage you, take heart and listen to what happens next in this passage. As God provides another anchor for the passengers of the ship and our last point. The text continues, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When all hope was lost, when all their attempts to muscle through it was gone, Paul stood up to give a word of encouragement speak a word of truth to them and to provide a different anchor that God had given him. 
Now, as you are trying to picture this situation, just take note that the storm has not passed at this point. Take note that this is a lot different than, let's say, Paul in the amphitheater that we read earlier in Acts, in which the crowd is making a lot of noise, and he raises his hand to hush the crowd so that they can listen and hear what he's about to say. There is no hushing of the waves and the wind. More likely, it is Paul trying to hold on to something to just get some stability. He's standing up, and he's yelling as loud as he can so that the passengers can hear what he's about to say. This was still a tempestuous situation that he was in, and so he projects his voice so that he can hear, they can hear what he's going to say because it's an important invitation for them. Now, as we read Paul's first statement, you may think it sounds pretty cruel. After all, this is a life and death situation. And what's the first thing Paul says? I told you so. Why didn't you listen to me? It seems like, Paul, could you not have handled that in a more grace-filled way? But in fact, Paul was doing exactly what, or saying exactly what the centurion and the rest of the crew needed to hear. He was pointing out that though the storm was created by God, it was their decision that got them in the middle of it. When God had provided a fair haven for them to remain until the storm had passed, they chose to rely more on their own strength. They chose to rebel against what God had provided. They chose to look at their own desires what they wanted and to get to it as quickly as possible, no matter the risk, no matter the danger. They needed to hear that because in hearing what they did wrong, when Paul was about to speak next, they would be prepared to hear about God's continued extension of grace towards them. Though they looked at their situation and saw that it was dire, their plans were failing, Paul stood up to let them know that God had other plans for them. Let's look closer at what Paul said. Uh, while still in the storm, God sent an angelic messenger to reassure Paul that neither his life nor the lives of those who were sailing with him would be lost in this situation. Paul shared that the angel came from the God to whom he belonged and whom he worshipped. During the struggle earlier in the passage, as I was describing it to you, very likely the sailors, they, they had their eyes gazed, looking at the pilot and the captain of the ship. What do I do? Likely the soldiers and other Criminals, the other, um, the other, uh, yes, criminals were, were looking at the centurion and they were staring at him. What do we do? Give us some answers. They were looking at their leaders to figure out what do you do in this situation? Give us some sort of reassurance. But that wasn't where Paul's eyes were focused on. Throughout that struggle, Paul was focused 
on his Lord and Savior. His gaze was struck, kept right towards Jesus, waiting for God to provide the answers that was needed, waiting for God to provide reassurance for him. Now, this wasn't the only time Paul had been in danger. He had been in danger plenty times before, and each time God did something amazing. God provided a reminder for him that he was not alone. He provided a reminder to him that God had not left him, that God's presence was still with him, that he was reassured that he belonged to God. Even in a dangerous situation, Paul was reminded of the work of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For Christ saved him from a worse death than what they were facing on that day. As Dylan shared earlier, due to our sin, our end destination is both physical and spiritual death. This is a fair and deserved result of our rebellion against God's hand, against his rule, against his will. But God had a different plan. He had a promise to bring salvation to those to whom he belonged, those who belonged to him, to rescue them from their situation, their dire circumstance. Through Christ, we see God's hand in fixing the problem of sin, of going and rescuing people from the trajectory of death that they are on and thus providing salvation for them. As Paul faced death in that situation, he was reminded of the God who saves. That's the God who saves back then and the God who saves even today. Because of that reminder, the apostle looked at the storm, he looked at his chains, and as he was reminded of the God who was with him, the God who, who held him in his hands no matter the situation, Paul looked at the storm, looked at the, ch the chains, and he knew that both of them were nothing. Both of them were not the major threat that they were. He knew that what God had promised him, what God had purposed, would come to pass. And so whatever the winds blew, however the winds blew, however dangerous the situation came, he was secure in Christ. Christian, as you look at your life today, are you in a dire situation? Are you in a, a difficult season? Now, it can be tempting in those seasons to think, well, clearly God has left me. Or perhaps to think, I am alone. No one else could possibly relate to what I am going through. I'm just by myself in this. It can be tempting to go and think that. But be reminded of this example from Paul. Be reminded that the God who has started a good work in you has not left you. You are not alone. Be reminded that he is able to surround you with others who can encourage you, others who can remind you of his good will 
before you to remind you that he is not done with you and what he has purposed for your life will come to fruition. You're reminded of that. You are not alone in this struggle. Remember, God is with you. Why was Paul reassured? Because the angel of God came to him and reminded him of the promise that God had for his calling, that he would speak to Caesar. He would make it to Rome. He would proclaim Christ in front of those in Rome. His mission was not over yet. This wasn't a usual missionary journey, but it was a missionary journey for him. And God would bring him to the desired destination. In a dire state, Paul shared where his hope rested. And in a moment of grace, he invited the passengers of the ship, the sailors, the other criminals, the, the, the other prisoners, everyone who was there, the soldiers, the centurion, he took a moment to invite them to trust in the anchor of God's promise. In doing so, he's letting them know that they can trust in the one who has created the storms, the one who commands them whether to blow or whether to be calm. You can trust in the God, our creator. And after he provided that word of encouragement, Paul takes it another step, and he provides them a, a task of faith for them to do. And it was perhaps a hard one for all any of us to do in times of difficulty. Paul tells them to wait for God to provide a new haven, to, to wait until God provided an island where they could go run aground and go to. After Paul's invitation, it seemed like everyone was on board, quote unquote. It seemed like they had accepted that invitation with faith. In fact, they are looking out for an island. They, they were looking out to see how close they were to land. They, they did the measurements to see if they were near in land. They were getting closer and closer to it. And when they thought, yes, we are, it, it looks like we are near in land, what did they do? They started to put out. They lowered the anchors. They prepared to reach where God was leading them. But also notice the example of faith in what they do next. Now, prior, when the storms were, were moving and it was, it was very ferocious, they didn't stop and pray to God. They were just mustering up. What do we do? What's in our toolbox? They're trying to figure it out. But in this scene, after they prepared to, anchor, to lower the anchors, what do they do? They pray. They pray to God. God, could you give some clear skies for us so we can see what you have in front of us? Could you make it easier to see the sun, the stars? They are praying for some sort of daylight for them so that they can know what the situation is. They're turning to God. Or, you know, it seems like all the sailors were turning to God, but we, we also see that for some of them, their faith was quite shallow. Apparently, there was a, a group of sailors who were just pretending to lower the anchors, when in fact what they were doing was lowering the rowboats attached to the ship. 
in an attempt to save themselves. Paul sees this and he yells to centurions, they cannot do that, for if they do, their lives will be lost, and likely the rest of us, as there were less people to go and manage the ship once they do see land. And here we have another example of faith. The centurion who before didn't even follow the advice, the wise counsel of Paul, he doesn't hesitate this time. He orders his soldiers to go and cut the rowboats down, cut the ropes, and let them float away empty. At this point, there's nothing more for the passengers of the ship to do other than just wait on what God was about to give them, what God was about to provide. And so Paul goes and encourages the group who really haven't eaten much at this time, if at all. He encourages them to eat. As they prepared for what God was going to provide, they needed to have their strength to go into action when the time came. And so he blesses the food. And this is not, like, this is not a, a communion type thing, like the Lord's Supper. This, this is just Paul taking the food, blessing it, saying, thank you, God, for these provisions. Thank you, God, for sustaining us this far. At this point, there was no loss of life, even though they had hit such a tempestuous storm. There was no loss of life. Thank you, God, for sustaining us, and thank you for what you are going to provide, even before we see it. Paul thanked God, and then all of them ate, waiting for what God was going to do next. If you are here today and not a follower of Christ, perhaps you too are waiting for something. Perhaps you are currently in a hardship or trial. If that is true, I ask this question. Who or what do you turn to when those trials come? Do you try to muster up as much strength as possible? Do you turn to things that you know are unhealthy to ignore it, to try to numb the pain? Do you turn to whatever you possibly can do just to, 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 to muscle through that situation? I encourage you to take heart. Take heart and reach out to the God who commands the storms, the God who can overcome even your worst pain, the God who has overcome our worst situation, our true dire circumstance, our sinfulness, our rejection of who God is, our rejection of God's anchor that he has provided through Jesus Christ. Take heart and reach out. Look to that solid anchor for it will keep you in a foundation that will provide security and one that will weather the storm. In his letter to the Christians in Rome, Paul wrote this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ, Jesus our Lord. Like the centurion, accept this invitation that God has for you. 
accept that, that God has provided for your greatest need and will continue to keep you secure in his presence to eternity. That's something you can rely on. It's something that you can trust in. The anchor of God's presence and his promise. The same invitation is available for you today. And so I encourage you, take it, accept it, and let your life forever be secure in God's hands. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I also encourage you to take heart. Take heart when those troubles come. Remember that, that God has a plan for you. He will bring it to purpose. And even among the storm, even in the middle of the hardships, the tempests, God has not left you. Remember what Paul remembered and what he remembered as he stood up with courage to go and proclaim Christ even in the storm. Remember that you can believe in your Lord and Savior, that he is there, that he has you in his hands. Paul trusted that what God had told him would be fulfilled, and you can trust it today. Remember what Christ has started in you, and will, he will continue into eternity. Christian, like Paul, remember to whom you belong to and who you worship. Let that get you through the storm. Let that reminder help you to not only be encouraged, but to encourage others. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us here for this moment of fellowship to hear your word preached and be reminded of what you have saved us from and how you continue to provide as we weather different storms. Father, we thank you that we can cry out to you in faith, knowing that what you have promised, what you have purposed will come to fruition, that we do not have to worry about being alone, for we are never alone in Christ. We thank you for opportunities to pray, pray for our brothers and sisters, no matter the situation that they're going through, to pray for safe travels for them in their walk with Christ, and to pray that even during those difficult seasons that you will guide us, keep our gaze focused upon you, O oh Lord, and let us be renewed each day in the grace that comes from your word. Father, we thank you again for this day. We lift up the rest of the service to you. In Jesus' name, amen.